We're in Proverbs chapter 24 tonight. Let's pray. Father, we bless the name of the Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness, your great mercy, your kindness, your goodness to us. And Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher tonight, that the Holy Spirit would give us insight and wisdom and direction and counsel and understanding and all the things that you want to speak to us. Lord, I know there are things that you desire to work in our heart and our life tonight. And Lord, I thank you for helping us to understand your ways tonight. And we submit to you, to the power and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to help me. Uh, I need you. I need your help, Lord. And I ask you to speak through me. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to do it kind of like what we've been doing. We're going to read through the whole chapter, and then we're going to come back, and I have four or five principles that we want to touch on in the middle of this. Verse 1, do not or don't envy evil people or desire their company, for their heart plots violence, and their words always stir up trouble. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense, through knowledge Its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. The wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. So, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Wisdom is too lofty for fools. Among leaders at the city gate, they have nothing to say person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. The schemes of a fool are sinful. Everyone detests a mocker. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them that as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts, and He sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. My child, eat honey, for it's good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you'll have a bright future, and your hope Hopes will not be cut short. Don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly. and Don't raid the house where the godly live. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Amen. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and you will and will turn his anger away from them. Don't fret because of evildoers. If you remember, that's how verse one started. Don't envy the wicked. So that's a repeat of actually verse one. For evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. My child, fear the Lord and and the king. Don't associate with rebels. For disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the king. Here are some further sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you're innocent, 
will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now I can repay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. Have you ever been by the vineyard of somebody like that? You know what I'm talking about. Not a vineyard so much, but you've just been around people that have no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and I thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robbery. Robber. In other words, if you're lazy, it's going to catch up with you. So there's several principles in there, and some of the principles we've already talked about in other places. Of course, Proverbs has lots of repeated ideas and areas and principles. And what we want to do is we want to look at a couple of couple of principles within this one that I think are worth looking at and are not really ones that we focused on. The first one I want to talk about, and that is verse 1, evil people are not to be envied. To just let that sink in just a moment. Don't envy evil people. I want you to be thinking about why. Why did God say that? What is the danger that lurks in envying evil people? couple other verses that kind of go along with that. Uh, 24 verse 1, of course, we read. Verse 24, verse 19 and 20 says, Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. That's a repeat. For evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. So another verse is in verse 20, uh, 21 and 22 says, My child... Fear the Lord and the King. Don't associate with rebels, rebels, for disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the King? You know, and that kind of ties into why he said don't associate with them. You think about it. If you're, if you're with an evil person, and verse 1 says don't fret or envy evil people, but then it's followed up by saying don't associate. Don't be around them. And this kind of explains why. Because an evil person is under the judgment of God. And who knows when that judgment is going to fall. And you really don't want to be there. (laughs) You, You don't want to be around them or with them. Because sometimes that might fall. And if you're with them or in cahoots with them. Or joined up with them. Even worse, maybe become a partner with them then now you're going to suffer some of the same consequences that they. Maybe you didn't do what they did, but you're with them. So there's the encouragement. Not only don't envy uh, evildoers, but don't even associate with them. But come back to the idea, why do you think God says not to envy evil people? Anybody want to 
try that? Anybody have any ideas why it's not a good idea? Why would that's a dangerous thing? Yes. Okay, it's going to have it's going to be a whole lot better when we're in heaven. All right, I agree with that. What what else is a danger? Yes, Ed. Okay. All right, Dennis. Okay. I agree with the thought processes, but what I'm looking for is what is the thought process going through your head that's dangerous when you're looking and you're envying? Obviously, I think the context here is you're not just envying the evil person. You're envying what they're getting. You're envying the pleasures that it seems like they've got. And and it seems like, you know, in a couple of pro- Proverbs and also a couple of places in Psalms, it, it talks about how the wicked are prospering. And there are some people who serve the devil and they've got a lot of money. <laughs> and, and they're doing great, it looks like. So what is, the, what is the danger of the thought press? If I'm looking at somebody and there's the envy, I envy that. It's not so much you envy that person, but you're envying what they're enjoying, quote, the good life, seems like. So what is that doing? What do you think? Okay. And I, th- I think, I thought about it today, and I thought it, ch- and, and what Dennis said about our thinking, I think, is real close. And that is, we start thinking short term. And for a Christian, that's a dangerous thing. You can't think short term. You have to think long term. Short term is, I'm going to sin now. And enjoy the benefits right now. But the long term is that that sin will destroy me. I'm, I'm in slippery places. And I'm associating with sinful people. And I'm doing sinful things that are ultimately going to destroy me. And what it begins to do, and I think somebody said this, and that is it begins to take our eyes off of God. And we begin to think, hey, I might as well live it up, have a big time, enjoy myself. Because those people over there, they're evil, they're wicked, they're sinful, and they're living it up and having a great time. I believe I'll enjoy the same thing. But again, it's short thinking. It's short-sighted. It's not looking long-term. And you know, everything I can see about the Christian is that we're supposed to look long-term. We're supposed to think about heaven. We're supposed to think about eternity. We're supposed to think about our, our life and how our life affects others. You know, the decisions you make will impact your children and your grandchildren and your friends. And so when you choose those temporary short-term pleasures of sin... And I've heard this before, and that is, hey, my sin is my business. 
I'm going to do my thing. I want to, you know, enjoy my sin. That's none of your business. I'm going to do it. And it hurts. If it hurts me, that's fine. That's my business, but that's nobody else's business. I just want to tell you that's not true. That has no truth. Because your sin affects other people. Whether you like it or not, or whether you want to admit it or not, it is the truth. It impacts, it affects, it hurts, it embarrasses, it's put shame upon all your loved ones, all of your children, all of your family, all of the things you're going through. It's not just you who's hurting. You know, I I saw on the news tonight about that guy in uh, New Orleans. I guess he's the mayor of Jefferson Parish, this Yenny guy. He sec- he uh, sent a sex sexually explicit text to a seventeen year old boy, uh, and you know he was before the council today, and his he was defending himself and saying I didn't do anything illegal, uh, you know I didn't break any laws, and I won't ever do it again. And I, I wanted to say, how does your wife feel? How do your children handle in this? What's this doing to your heritage, your legacy? You know, and, and that Yenny name has been a, a, a pretty established name in Jefferson Parish for a long time. Just think what that's doing to his name that his daddy and his granddaddy built and labored over years to establish in that area. And now that name is just going down the tube. So don't ever fall for the lie that your sin is your business only. Oh, no. Your sin, it affects everybody. It may not initially, but it will. And so, again, there's the admonition. There's the encouragement. Don't envy sinners. Yes, Diane? That's Psalm 73, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's he, he, the, actually the whole Psalms, he starts out, kind of like you said, talking about, you know, I, I envied them, I was jealous of them, they're, boy, they're having a great time, it seems like, what am I doing being righteous, uh, when all, they're, they're, all the fat cats are having a big time, uh, but then, and then he comes to that point of realization, their feet, and that's how it says it, their feet or in slippery places. And I want to tell you folks, when you live in sin, your feet are in slippery places. And what that simply means is your life can change like that. The events of your life can turn like that. And your whole life is turned upside down. Uh, And I just want to encourage you, don't get short-sighted and short-minded by thinking that, oh, it would, you know, I'd love to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Think long-term. 
think long term, like eternity. <laughs> you know, that's pretty long term. Think about eternity. Don't just think about right now. Second principle I want us to look at here, and that is God's people refuse to give up. How about some tenacious people? I, b- I believe God wants his people to be tenacious, to, and, and some might say stubborn, but I don't think it's a stubbornness. That, that indicates rebellion. But I think there's a, a tenacity, a tenaciousness that says, I, I'm not giving up. And, of course, the, the passage here that we read is in, in a couple of verses. First one is in verse 10 that says, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. And then in verse 16 it says, The godly may trip up seven times, but what, what do they do? They get up. You may fall eight times. You may fall. How many of you have fallen at least seven times? <laughs> How many have fallen more times than you've got fingers on your hands and feet? (laughs) Yeah. But they get up again. There's the difference. So I want you to think just for a moment, what is it? What is it that causes you to want to get up? What is it that makes a Christian to say, you know, I messed up, I've fallen, I'm in a tight place, my life is in shambles right now, but I'm moving on. I'm going to get up and I'm going to dust myself off and God is going to help me and strengthen me and, and I'm, I'm not going to give up. And I want to tell you, that's exactly what the enemy wants. When you mess up or your life becomes in a valley, enemy, Satan, wants you to give up. God he wants you to, to get up. Um, and, of course, at the end of that verse, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. When you're wicked, you're ready to give up. Because he doesn't have whatever God puts in us. So now I want to ask you, what does it take or what is required to not give up? That tenaciousness, that I'm going to not give up, but I'm going to continue uh, even though I've fallen. Penny, hope. What is our hope in? Okay. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. And that is so important. And if you'll notice... Um, I say this often, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I don't just say that from the pulpit. I say that privately. I say it as I'm talking to people. I say that as I'm talking. I say that when I'm talking to me (laughs) by myself. I say that to my children. I say that to my grandchildren. God has a plan and a purpose in your life. And you, you don't let go of that. And I know that to be true. God has a plan for every person. And those plans are not bad plans. Those plans are good plans. And, and, and uh, just talk a little bit, of, just for a moment here, maybe a little diversion. But, you know, a lot of people, they've said, well, I messed up my life. 
And therefore, I have missed the will of God for my life. And the truth is, and this is the way I see our, the plan for our life. God has a blueprint. And this blueprint is an amazing blueprint, and it's a plan for our life. And it has to do with the end product of who God wants you to be. Okay? And the plan, the blueprint, is the way to get to that end result. You with me? But if you mess up the plan, God still has the end product that he wants to finish. And there may be, and there are other ways that God will get to that ultimate plan. And you may take a diversion, and we all take a couple of diversions and back turns and, and shortcuts and and backtracks, and, and we, we do all kinds of things going our own way, doing our own thing. But even at that, God is never caught at a place where God is going to say, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? They took a left turn. God can handle your left turns. In fact, His promise is He works all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to his purpose, the plan. If I believe and, and am convinced and have hope that his plans, his purpose, the end result is good, then even if I take a, several wrong choices, wrong turns, whatever, God will work with those wrong choices and work them into his plan. And still get us at the final goal. Does that make any sense to you? And don't. And I, I remember talking. Several people. That they were so discouraged. Because they just messed their life up. Badly. Made all kinds of terrible choices. And they just had this impression. That I've messed up. The plan of God for my life. And now I can never quote fulfill the perfect will of God for their life. I said, the only thing you messed up is the pathway getting to the plan. But you didn't mess up the plan. You didn't mess up the end product. You can't do that. God will work all of your bad choices. If you will love him and you're committed to going all the way with God, and walking in his ways and loving him and committing your life to him and trusting him, then he will work all things. He didn't say all things were good. He said he would work all things for good. And that's what God wants to encourage you to do tonight. And, and, and the principle here, even in the Old Testament, people who have hope in God, if we fall down, we're going to get back up. And I think it has to do with that hope and that purpose. I have a purpose. That purpose gives me hope. Um, 
And just because you feel like giving up doesn't mean you should give up. How many of you have ever wanted to give up? I told my wife one day, I said, yeah, I, I want to give up every Monday morning. <laughs> but I've learned over the years that that's just a time when I'm down and, and weak uh, because I've given out. And that's the time not to make any major decisions. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that the enemy always tries to catch you when you're weak. And you're depleted. And he kind of wants you to make a stupid decision. So don't make decisions when you're discouraged or depressed or down or, uh, you know, you're really given out or something like that. It's been an emotional, going through an emotional time. That's not a time to make a major decision. It's time to hold on and trust in Him, and God will guide you and lead you to the right decisions. But we need to have some tenaciousness, some uh, willingness to say, I am going to go the whole way with God. I am not going to give up. I am not going to turn in. I am not going to turn over and just give up. You know, it hurts my heart when I hear that people have left the church, left God, given up, doing nothing and going back into the world. That hurts my heart. It physically hurts because I believe that God has a plan for their life. And there's a better way. There is a better way. And so many times people make those bad choices because they've messed up. And when they make those bad choices, then the enemy puts the thought in there, I believe I'm just going to, oh, you ought to just give up. You messed up now. That's it. You, you, you've done messed up. That, might as well just give up. That's just the enemy talking. And this is a verse that reminds us, a godly person, a man who walks with God, he may fall down seven times, but he gets up seven times. And I think the analogy is it doesn't matter whether it's seven or eight or nine or ten. You keep getting up because you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That plan and purpose for your life gives you hope and encouragement. And God is going to continue to work in you. So don't give up. Yes, Penny. And I think the ten spies, that was the only vote in the Bible that I can find. And it didn't go well with the majority. <laughs> Somebody asked me if I believed in votes. Uh, I said, well, I don't know. It's the only example I've got in the Scripture, it didn't go well. But the ten, they focused on how big the enemy was. But Joshua and Caleb, what did they focus on? Our God is more, than, and that's what they said, our God is more than able to handle these things. He is more than able to conquer this land. He is more than able to take care of these people. But those ten guys, all they could see were the bigness of the enemy. And their opinion was, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. 
And Joshua and Caleb didn't see the enemy big. They saw God as big. And I really believe that's the same thing David did when he fought Goliath. He didn't see, everybody else saw Goliath as a giant who was too big to defeat. David saw Goliath as too big to miss. Man, that's a big target. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'd be, have to be a bad slingshot guy to miss this guy because he's huge. So it depends upon your perspective. We serve a big God, and he's able. So this principle, God's people, we don't give up. Third thing uh, that I see here, well, let, let's... One other thing, look at Proverbs 24. It kind of ties along with uh, refusing to give up. And that is just hard work. Uh, verse 30 through 34, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one who has no common sense. And I saw this overgrown with nettles, covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. I looked and thought about it. I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a folding in the hands. Uh, to rest and poverty will bounce on you, pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robbery. And and the idea in that is is that, you know, not only do we get back up, but we get up and we're hard workers. That's one of the things that helps us to be able to, to continue, and that is that I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to continue in God. And I'm not going to give up. And I, I think here he's he's talking about the, the, the laziness and the slothfulness that, that can slip in. And, you know, we can become slothful spiritually. And so the idea is the same thing. We will spiritually become bankrupt if we become slothful in spiritual things. We need to be diligent. Third thing I want us to look at, and that is God's people must help the innocent. Look at verse 11 and 12. Interesting passage. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they swagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts. He sees you. He who guards your soul, excuse me, he who guards you, soul, knows you well. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. So the idea is that don't fool yourself. You may say you don't know about it, but God knows your heart. So who do you think the innocent is Is he talking about? What's that? Children? Maybe the unborn children? Those They're innocent. Who, who else are the innocent according to the Word of God? Say that again. Okay. Orphans, the widows, uh, the hurting, the homeless, those who are in prison, uh, those who have been abused, those who have been taken advantage of. So the idea here is it, it doesn't cut it to have this attitude, oh, I didn't know about these people hurting God says, now, I know your heart, and if you know about these people hurting, then there is an expectation that the Lord has to rescue those who are hurting. And, you know, that's one reason uh, we do so much in outreach here. 
Uh, Tina is in charge of our outreach. Uh, and um, we, we love it. We love to be involved in helping other people. Why? Because this is the command of the Lord. And that is, and I know the extreme here is, and there's rescuing those who are unjustly sentenced to die uh, and save them as they stagger to the death. And, and, the, and the idea here, especially when you tie it into the, into the context, is that someone has been unjustly spoken against. There's been an, an unrighteous witness has convicted uh, they've lied in a court of law. They've lied in a court about this person. And now this person is innocent and they're dragging this person to their death. And the idea is that you know about it. You know that they're innocent. And you could speak up and say, hey, listen, that guy there that testified, he's lying. I know he's lying. And yet you held your peace. And the admonition there, if there's anything you can do to help the innocent, you need to speak up. You need to do what you can. You can't just hide back and say, oh, I didn't know about it. The Lord says, now, listen, he knows your heart. You can't fool God. He knows whether you know or not. So don't just say, I didn't know. Uh, and the idea is that, that this is one of the requirements, responsibilities we have as God's people, and that is to help people who are hurting. And, you know, one thing I, I, I would say, it, you know, let's just look at a couple of verses before I ask that question. Uh, let's, let's look at, um, okay, that, that goes, into the, uh, it goes into the next one. So uh, little, look at the fourth, the fourth point. I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Number four, God's people have, must help establish righteousness. And it's kind of tied in a little bit there. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 23. It says, here are some further sayings of the wise. It's wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, your innocent will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations, but it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. And the honest answer the context of that is in a court of law or when you're speaking up for someone, it, it can, you know, if you're innocent and, and you have someone who stands up and said, listen, they're innocent. I was there. I want to tell you, that is a kiss. <laughs> that is a blessing. That'll save your life. And that's the context of what it's saying here is that if you can say, stand up and say uh, something about it. And the whole idea is that we have a responsibility it's to establish righteousness in our nation. Look at uh, verse 28 and 29. It says, don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. Don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. Uh, I'll, I'll get even with them. So the idea there is, you know, don't, don't, if you're in a court of law or you're testifying against somebody, don't get the idea of revenge to get back at them for something they did. Uh, and, and the whole idea is that you cannot pervert justice. You can't pervert righteousness. If something is right, it's right. If it's just, it's just. Uh, a couple other things, 1715, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. Both are detestable to the Lord. And then 185, uh, kind of along the, the, the same line is that. 
Uh, it is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. So let me just ask you, kind of appropriate, we're in the middle of a crazy uh, election season. Thank God it'll be over in a little under three weeks. Um, what can we do to help establish righteousness in our country? What can we do? Yes. Vote, okay, pray. What else can we do? You know, I want justice and righteousness in the land that I live in. Do y'all? I think that's something we should want. It's something that, it's something that, you know, should be the cry of our heart. Um, and I wrote here, if you have the notes, and that is our laws, they're designed to do three things. They're designed, they should punish the evildoer, they should protect the righteous, and they should be free of bribery, corruption. It's kind of appropriate because <laughs> today we're, we're living in a land where it appears as if everything is run by corruption and bribery. Uh, yes, Nicole? Okay. And I think probably because Christians have not been and live that righteous life, and we've not been the light we should have been, then we haven't shown the way. And that lack of showing the way, especially for our children, our, our children need to grow up seeing and hearing and experiencing righteousness. They should have fathers that are godly fathers. They should have mothers that are godly mothers. And they should have parents who speak the truth. When our children go to school and they lie, where did they learn that from? I think somebody right before church was talking to me. They had to uh, uh, expel a six-year-old, six-year-old, good night, you know, because of the language and the things that the kid was doing at six years old. And my response was, this child learned this at home. You don't learn to talk that way enough to get kicked out of school at six years old without your parents being behind that. Kids don't learn that on their own. And so it goes back to what Nicole said, and that is, yes, and I think we can vote. We can, we can demand righteous laws and righteous sentences uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons that we have a lawless society around us and people are killing other people is because they have no fear of the consequences for that happening. 
And and we're living in a society where people seem to not have any fear or, or, or conscience, no fear of the law, no fear of violating the law, and it it's it's causing us to have grief. You know, I I, I brought a couple of verses. Um, this is what happens when a nation perverts judge uh, justice. Proverbs eleven. Verse 10 says, a whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. So there's celebration and there's joy when righteousness is, is established. Uh, Proverbs 29, 16, when the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes. But the godly will live to see their downfall. I claim that. <laughs> yeah. And then Proverbs 28, 12, when the godly succeed, everyone's glad. When the wicked take charge, interesting, people go into hiding. I want to stop there. What do you think that means? When sin, and it's interesting because it says it in verse 12, and it repeats it in verse 28 of Proverbs 28. Verse 28 says, when the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. In verse 12, it says, when the wicked take charge, the people go into hiding. And the end of 28, 28 says, when the wicked meet disaster, the godly flourish. And of course, Proverbs 14, 34, godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Why in the world do people hide? What's going on with that? What do you think, Ben? And you think about it, when justice is perverted, and when I say perverted, it means ungodly people are lifted up, and you might say encouraged, and righteousness is made fun of, ridiculed. Well, it kind of would, if you're a righteous person, it would kind of make you want to keep your mouth shut. It would kind of make you want to back up because by speaking up means we might be thrown into jail. Now, there's a time where, you know, you, you've got to stand for righteousness, even if it might uh, throw you into jail. You know, I noticed, uh, uh, I think it was Brother Dobson um, he calling for civil disobedience um, in a certain area. They, they passed a law. Uh, that that I think it's in California, I'm not sure where, but a federal court backed them up. And that is that it's forcing Christian schools, uh, Christian uh, education, that's forcing them to hire uh, same-sex or people along the same-sex line, and they cannot deny... Uh, hiring those people in a Christian environment. And, and of course, the whole context was, you know, this is against our basic beliefs of who we are. You can't force us to hire people that are contrary to our beliefs of, of our Christian teaching. And yet a federal judge ruled that way. Um, and so Dobson basically said, if, if 
if they push comes to shove and this holds up, he said this might be a time when Christians have to be, uh, you know, in civil disobedience. They say, well, you're going to have to put me in jail um, because I'm not going to. You know, there comes a time where you can't go into hiding. <laughs> there comes a time when you've got to stand up for righteousness and say, this is wrong and I, yeah, I can't go against the convictions of my heart and my life. I just can't do that. Now, here's the idea here, and that is when you when we have godly leaders. Now, I, I, I would love to have, you know, godly, spirit-filled leaders, but the truth of it is sometimes you have to make a decision that is the better of two evils. It's just the way it is. A lot of people have a hard time with that, but I just want to say that's reality. You know, somebody asked me the other day, so why don't more Christians run for office? Why don't we see more godly people in office? And a lot of godly people do not want to put up with the terrible things that go on in, in politics. They just don't want to be involved in it. It's a, it's a wicked, evil, rough, nasty business. And as this election is bringing to the forefront, it's bad on both sides. It's just the way it is. But at some point, you're going to have to make a decision, which is the better of the two. And personally, the way I'm looking at it is I'm, I'm not really looking at an individual anymore. I, I want to vote for the person who stands for the policies that or the policies that I believe in the most. Rather than voting on their personality or their person or, you know, what, what they did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, you know, I have to look at the policies that this person is going to give. Because there's no doubt the President of the United States is going to choose probably at least one probably two or three of the next supreme court justices of the united states and those are elected for life and so that will basically determine the course of our nation for the next 25 or 30 years so it's an important election it really is so just think about it god hates it when justice is perverted and this is where we need to pray. We need to do everything we can. God, turn our nation around. I don't know who's going to be elected. But I do know Jesus is Lord no matter who is elected. <laughs> I do know that he is going to reign and rule. God's not going to fall off his throne on November the 10th <laughs> or 9th or whatever it is. He, you know, God is still going to reign on and supreme. All the truth of the Word of God is going to be valid on the next day. Nothing will change in the Word of God. Now, it might make us easier or less easy to live a godly life, but it's still the command of the Lord is not going to change. So I just encourage you to pray for your nation. Pray that we would, and the last verse there is so important, godliness makes a nation great but sin is a disgrace to a people and I just pray that 
somehow, some way, our nation once again would exalt righteousness instead of sin. Why don't you just join with me in praying? We can pray for our nation tonight. Pray for us to do all we can. You know, and we talked about a few things that we can do. We can vote. We can pray. We can live a godly life. We can do a lot of things that, to bring and establish righteousness. Lord God, we come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus, Lord, and we just pray for our country. We ask you to turn our country, our nation, back to you, Lord. We understand that we're in a difficult place in our nation. And, Lord, we pray that you would reestablish righteousness in our nation. Oh, God, establish godly leaders starting at the very top and our Senate and our Congress and even in the local level, Lord, and the state level, Lord, that you would establish godly leaders all over our land. And I pray, Father, that righteousness not, might be exalted on our land once again. And we might still and continue to have the freedom to serve and acknowledge you. Thank you, Father, for helping us to be a person like we talked about tonight. And that is, even if we fall down, we get right back up because we have hope and we have purpose. Thank you, Lord. Help us do all we can to establish righteousness in our country. We love you, Lord. We bless and honor you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All the people of God said amen.